Hi, and welcome to another episode of A Shot Glass of Recovery with your host, Julie, half of the dynamic duo that brings you two sober chicks. So as promised yesterday, today you will be listening to a podcast that I recorded with two listeners, Kat and Amanda from Cookville, Tennessee, and they are going to be sharing about their experience navigating life and recovery while also dealing with PTSD. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did when I was with them. Hi, this is Julie One Sober Chick broadcasting live from Cookville, Tennessee with Kat and Amanda. So you have three sober chicks, one third Canadian and two thirds American. So welcome. Thank you. So great to be here. Hey, y'all. Hey, and y'all. We can say it in true, true Tennessee style. Oh, that would be so nice. I wish I could do it. <laughs> So uh, we just banged out a podcast about uh, all kinds of things, but mostly new vernacular for newcomers and what all of they all mean. But I wanted to talk a little bit about PTSD and recovery because you both have experience with that, which is something Lisa and I don't have experience with. And Amanda, you sent us an email about our trigger episode and your experience from someone who can be triggered, who has been triggered, having PTSD concurrently with your addiction. So I was hoping that both of you could speak a little bit to your experience and how someone coming into recovery who also has PTSD, like how they navigate the waters. Cool. Yes, absolutely. I think um, a lot of the way that I started to see my PTSD in light of recovery was by doing my fourth and fifth step. So the fourth step being this was harm that was done to me. These are resentments that I have. Um, that gave me trauma and um, I thought about recovering from my PTSD as a form of amend so a lot of times the trauma that happens to us whether it be um, something like a, a, a mass shooting which is what I experienced um, or uh, an assault of any kind uh, like many of us have experienced or a long-term um, abuse which a lot of people have experienced, no matter what it is, um, it's not the fault. It's not your fault, right? Mm-hmm. But it's something that you carry with you. It's something that eats your lunch, you know, or something that, that, that creates that uh, and contributes to that restless and irritability and discontent that makes us drink. And, and we might drink to medicate ourselves from those feelings that we get from PTSD. So then now how do you address that in a way that you acknowledge your trauma and you you see it for mm-hmm. what it is um, and you get your ego out of it so that it no longer does damage to you and it becomes something that you can recover from um, just like you recover from your alcoholism and so I've been thinking about that a lot and um, so the way that I've been making an amends for what happened to me is to actively tell my story, to go out and work for positive change, and to elevate the voices of others who share the similar similar trauma. So mm-hmm. if I can, as part of my amends, a part of my recovery, I can work with other people who survived gun violence and say, hey, let me help you tell your story and um, let me give you a hug and let me offer comfort, let me offer understanding as a fellow survivor, mm-hmm. then I heal. It's, it helps me. And so that's how I choose to express that trauma. In terms of, of triggers, they can be very weird. Um, 
And uh, for me, snow is a big trigger. Really? Um, yeah, because it happened in the snow. It uh, happened in that winter. That makes sense. Yep. At night, the smell of snow, the smell of cigarettes, because that's when I started <laughs> smoked. Um, and uh, so certain things can, can create that dark blanket over mm. me. But I have learned now to see it, go, there you are. There you are, trauma. There you are, feelings. There you are. Now I'm going to give it to God. And mm-hmm. I don't, I don't have my like big wallow drama moment, you know. I don't. Uh, I just kind of, kind of let it sit. And then, um, so uh, one thing that happened in the workplace that I told you guys about. I walked out into the hallway once, and I work at a school, and I survived a school shooting. So I went out into the hallway, and someone was pointing a compass down the hallway and he was using his arm he was bracing his arm one arm with another arm so it looked like he was pointing a gun and um i jumped and i looked at him in horror and i have one of those faces where like (laughs) everyone can read exactly what's on my face and i startled him with how i looked at him and um so i had to explain you know normally like when you jump because someone startles you, you can just say, oh, yeah, I have a lizard brain, ha, ha, ha. But I looked at him, I knew, I could feel my face just, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I, he must have thought, good grief, I'm holding a compass, you know. Mm-hmm. He was getting ready to teach a class, and he was getting a, an angle, he was going to test his students on how well they read a compass, and so he was getting an, an angle so he knew the answer. And he was using the hallway. He was doing something completely innocent, mm-hmm. and he totally triggered me, and I was, sh- I was shaking. I was literally shaking, um, and so I had to tell him what happened, and he was very apologetic, and I was like, I am not mad. You were not doing anything wrong, mm-hmm. you know, and so I guess when someone triggers you, you can look at that. As a co- you, you could have a compassionate discussion about your experience, and that's what we did, and there was no anger there. So I think triggers can be important to discuss in light of compassion. And when you have compassion for both the person who did the triggering and the person who was triggered, then there's no problem. There's no offense taken. Yeah, it's the approach. It's the approach. The amazing thing is later on, same class, he was testing a, 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 a... compressed thing that shot nets onto birds nests mm-hmm. which <laughs> makes a loud popping noise um and he was it was the weather wasn't very good inside so he was going to show them how to use it inside it's not like a big deal but it makes a loud noise mm-hmm. and before he did it he thought of me he came to my door he said hey i'd like to do this with my students today it's going to make a big noise is that going to upset you because i could do it outside wow. but the weather stinks oh and i was like way to be trauma informed my friend <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and he got a hug and a no worries now that i know that it's going to happen it does you know I, That's I so cool once i knew that what it was it doesn't bother me yeah, yeah. you know it wasn't a big deal but yeah. i was just really um so the whole thing just ended up great so in the light of recovery it's like, it's not that you don't have the experience and you don't still carry it with you, but it's a lighter weight because it's not about you mm. anymore. It's about what happened. So you don't have to take on any of that survivor's guilt or whatever else that I was carrying with me. That that I can let go. And now I can use it as a tool to help others. And so mm-hmm. your worst experiences become your greatest gifts. That, that goes for both alcohol and whatever else. That's good. With. Mm-hmm. And that's what recovery has 
I, mean, I kind of knew some of those things before I went into recovery, but it's reinforced it tremendously. You know, I, I can't say recovery has taught me that altogether because I think I, you know, through therapy and working with other survivors and um, I started doing that before I quit drinking, but mm-hmm. um, I knew that it was going to help. I didn't know how much it was going to help. It's made a tremendous difference in my life <laughs> to wonderful. have to work with other survivors. And, and so I knew, so the other thing that's been really cool about joining the AA rooms is I knew that storytelling and talking to other survivors was a huge source of healing. So it was natural to me to tell my story to people in AA mm. and to hear their stories and to find healing from their stories. That, that's something that transcends just addiction recovery, but it goes into recovery from other things. Mm. Amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. Thank you. So Amanda has acute PTSD where there was one defining event um, that triggered this trauma response in her and I come at it from a slightly different angle. I have complex PTSD, which is just as fun as it sounds. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's usually from a history of long-term abuse or neglect. Um, and I am a survivor of childhood abuse and uh, to some degree neglect. Um, My mother had borderline personality disorder, which if you're not familiar with it, is a big deal. It's um, their grasp on reality is just shaky at best. Mm. Um, And she was also bipolar and unmedicated for much of my childhood. So while it always looked from the outside looking in like I was loved and looked after and safe, um, I did not f- feel those things. That, that was not my experience when I was a kid. And so I struggle with just feeling safe. Um, like we're sitting in a hotel room right now recording. I'm really glad that the door locks automatically mm-hmm. <laughs> because those are the things that go through my head just mm-hmm. on a day-to-day basis. Um, and so in general, I, I have anxiety. Um, but about twice a year from the time that I was eight till about 39, which was just last year, I would have about two anxiety attacks per year that would just knock me on my ass. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't really understand why. I didn't know what was going on. I just knew that suddenly I was dissociating from my body. I had tunnel vision. I felt um, lightheaded, all of these things. And just, um, it was bewildering. And um, I know you've talked some on your show in the past about your struggles with anxiety. Mm-hmm. And um, the big game changer for me was a few years ago, I got put on Lexapro. And um, that just gave me the distance from my anxiety mm-hmm. to start seeing it and understanding it a little bit better. And it was through that pivotal change that I was able to come to sobriety. I was <laughs> freaking had to come to sobriety because mm-hmm. <laughs> it started alcohol started affecting me even worse uh, when I was on uh, that medication. And so um, the combination of, of treating that anxiety, but then also getting sobriety has put so much distance between me and the anxiety that I experience um, as a result of complex PTSD. Uh, I used to think when I first got diagnosed with it that it was like this life sentence that um, I have PTSD. Mm-hmm. That's something I will have forever, you know. But it's not 
it's not quite like that. Our brains are so miraculously malleable mm. that the things that used to trigger me, like hearing a, a stern, angry woman's voice, mm-hmm. like that maternal kind of, you're in trouble, Missy, kind of tone, that used to just like dissociate me automatically. I would just be outside my body just hearing that. Yeah. And now I hear it and I recognize it. It's like you were saying, I recognize it for what it is and then I get back in my body. <laughs> That's amazing. And yes. deal with the situation like an adult damn woman. <laughs> yes. Yes. You've got to get back in yourself and yeah. say, there you are, trauma. There you right. are. You are part of my past. Yeah. This is now. Ugh, the living in the now yeah. part of, of recovery is so important. It's big. Here's yeah. my feet. Three feet around me. How are things? Okay. Oh, I, <laughs> I like that. I can calm down now. Yeah. 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 And, and, and I'm also on medication. It helps. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't keep me from being anxious mm-hmm. or being yeah. triggered. Mm-hmm. None yeah. of those things. It just helps me see it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm That's triggered. good. I like that. Yeah. yeah. And one of the reasons, I just started letting my hair go gray. Oh, I love it so much. Thank I was going to tell you that after. It's gorgeous. So I hope I, that happens to my hair oh, when it goes gray. Well, as I was watching you speak this morning, I was like, I want that hair. <laughs> <laughs> we always want someone else. I know, the grass is always greener. But yeah. one of the main reasons I let it go natural was I was like, I want to see, when I look in the mirror, I want to see how old I am. Because... My triggers take me back to a very scared seven-year-old. Ooh, mm, that's good. And so every time I look in the mirror, I'm like, I am the adult in the room. And that's so empowering. And I just didn't have that confidence, that sense of groundedness and self, self-centeredness. self That's not the word I'm looking for. Um, <laughs> being centered in myself mm-hmm. before uh, getting into recovery and quitting and finding my people. Mm-hmm. In the that's rooms. awesome. And kind of going back to the whole triggered episode, I think that the difference between uh, self-centered triggered and not self-centered triggered mm. is one of the things that you guys were talking about. Yeah. It's like, I'm triggered. Now it's all about me. Oh, you know. And yeah. It's like, don't say that. I'm offended. <laughs> and yeah, that's obnoxious. That yeah. is obnoxious. And it, and it takes away compassion out of the conversation. And it's a way of someone grabbing power. Mm. If I use my experience to empower myself over someone else, to say, well, you don't mm. understand. You didn't experience this, so you can shut the heck up. If I use it in that way, then you have every right to look at me and say, uh-uh, that's not good behavior. That's ego-driven behavior, right? Or yep. I, have, I have every reason to say that, at least to myself. But if I say, ooh, it's an opportunity as soon as I can calm down and I stop shaking. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it's good for me to say I'm triggered today and I'm shaking and I can't think I should go home and sleep and, and give myself a little grace. Yeah. yeah. So after that experience with the, with the, <laughs> with the stupid compass, I went home and went to sleep and woke <laughs> up and got a little bit of work done, but I had to, I had to take the afternoon. Yeah. And it's like that poor guy had no idea no idea yeah and you know i actually had someone threaten me with trauma because i mentioned i didn't like guns oh you said that that last night and i was like uh, what that was more deliberate he's like well you can come and train with me and i'm like i don't like the sound of gunfire it bothers me it triggers me so because i have ptsd so no thank you appreciate that and he's like well there's nothing like getting getting assaulted to give you ptsd and i'm like (sighs) 
Don't tell somebody mm-hmm. who tells you that they're trauma. Don't threaten somebody who tells you they've had trauma with more trauma. Yeah. That's not really very nice. That's not how we heal. That's not how we heal. <laughs> um, so that was a little bit more deliberate, a triggering experience. And I was offended, but I also just sort of, at the moment, I was just like, you know what? He doesn't understand, and mm-hmm. I don't have to make him understand, and it's a good time to say, like you say, Julie, okay, <laughs> okay, okay, <laughs> and and um, I bring it up only because, like, not to, you know, just because it's like, oh, you know, I was actually able to walk away from that uh, not angry and really liking that guy still, you know? It's that's just like the he didn't... power right there. That's, that's such the power. a powerful yeah. thing, because yeah. you're still in charge of a... Of, Amanda at right. that point. Right. He's not in charge of Amanda. Oh, God, I need to learn that lesson so hard. <laughs> well, I mean, after I walked away from it, I'm like, I wonder why I'm not more mad because he kind of misbehaved right there. Yeah. <laughs> but I was just like, that's his thing. Yep. Yeah. You know, he's he's caught up in that mentality and, and that's that's his business, not mine. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's why him. he said what he did. He didn't say what he did to hurt me. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, it, it's just... It kind of helps you deal with everything a little bit more gracefully. Um, yes. And it's interesting, gracefully, now that we talk a lot about grace and, and how grace enters our lives, that that has more meaning to me now. Like, I can handle things with greater grace mm-hmm. because I allow grace into my life now as a recovering person, and that includes my trauma or my PTSD. Yeah. Um, you allow it in so then you can give it. Yes, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> well, before we go, I want to ask you guys each a question okay. on the spot. Okay. What do you wish someone would have said to you on your first meeting? Like if you could go, or what would you say to yourself now, knowing what you know to that woman that walked into your first meeting? You can answer both or either. It's not as scary as you think. Mm. Like, um... I I don't know how, but for some reason, I have never been intimidated walking into uh, a 12-step meeting. I went to one when I was married to my ex-husband, who was an alcoholic, and I just walked into Al-Anon. I was like, you're my people. <laughs> Let's do this. <laughs> um, you know, I had a friend offer to go, go with me, and I was like, no, I'm fine. I'm just going to go. Um, but I know that that's not the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I've just had so much counseling in my life. I'm like, yeah, this is what everybody does, right? Uh, <laughs> but it's it's not as scary as you think. Your people are there, and um, you're going to be seen and heard and welcomed. Oh, yeah. that's beautiful. I'm trying to think. I, I can't top that, Kat. That would have been a wonderful thing to hear in my first meeting. But I kind of knew that because you let I me told you in. that. <laughs> you yeah. had somebody helping you. I had somebody. You had an angel. Kat took down that fear. Having a friend in the program who was willing to take me and hold my hand was the difference between utter terror and embarrassment and just, okay, I guess this is it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess if... Uh, I was told everything I think I needed to be told. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. Mm-hmm. Thank you for being here. You are welcome. All those things that you need to hear. What I would have told myself is, guess what? You're not going to miss it. Ooh. 
you're going to get to the point where you don't miss it one stinking bit if you stick around. That's so good. Me too. Because I was like, that's awesome. I'm an alcoholic, which means I can never drink again. It's going to be awful. Oh, God. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll recover enough where I can drink a little bit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, my God. And, you know, now I'm like, ugh. Who needs that stuff? Unless yeah. I'm having a bad day. Yeah. But, you know, I think it's still it's, it's still there. Yeah. But I don't miss it. That's awesome. When that lifting happens, when you really get lifted of that obsession, it is freedom. And it really is. I didn't know that that's what I was going in for. Mm. I was going in because when you realize you're an alcoholic, you go to AA. I was raised with a shrink who worked in chemical dependency. I knew about AA from forever. Mm-hmm. You know, and so if you realize you're an alcoholic, that's where you go. That's why I was there. And I had a friend who made it less terrifying. That's nice. Yeah. yeah. Thank uh, you for your service. Oh, it's easy. Yeah, she 12 stepped the crap out of me. That's awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. I was 12 stepped and, and I us, didn't even know it. <laughs> and the crazy thing is, we would not have met had it not been for no. AA. No. So. Thank you for being here. You're listening to Three Sober Chicks, Mm -hmm. Julie, Kat, and Ananda. And um, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. That's it. Oh, Oh, my gosh. We're done.